Okay, so Saxomethonium part two is all about adverse effects. Um, and it's easily the most commonly asked question with particular questions being reasons for prolonged paralysis, uh, potential adverse effects of succimethonium, um, adverse cardiovascular effects of sucks and non-depolarizing neuromuscular blockers. Um, they're the main ones. So the adverse effects I've divided into three categories, major, minor, and pressures. The major, uh, number one, sucks apnea. Number two, malignant hypothermia. Number three, anaphylaxis. The minor, number one, hyperkalemia. Number two, arrhythmias, which are either bradyarrhythmias. bratty or tachyarrhythmias. And then number three is muscles. Muscles includes spasm, myoglobinuria, and myalgia. And then there's three pressures. So first of all is intraocular pressure. Secondly is intracranial pressure. And finally, intragastric pressure. And the order of the adverse effects is actually quite interesting, um, just the way that I've put them down, because the final five, so everything from arrhythmias, muscles, um, and then all three pressures, um, can all be attenuated by pre-dosing a patient with a priming subtherapeutic dose of a non-depolarizing neuromuscular blocking drug. Okay, so I'll go through each of them now in, um, in varying detail. So first of all, sucks apnea. So sucks apnea is due to essentially a plasma cholinesterase deficiency and it's a butyral cholinesterase deficiency. It's also called scoline apnea, so S-C-O-L-I-N-E apnea. Um, and there's two broad categories of sucks apnea. The first is due to a quantitative deficiency of plasma cholinesterase. The second is due to a qualitative deficiency. The quantitative deficiency, i.e. there is just not enough actual enzyme molecules available, um, is due to decreased synthesis, which is secondary to either liver disease or malnutrition. So that's quite simple. The qualitative deficiency is where um, it gets a bit more complex. And the main, um, the main part of the qualitative deficiency that keeps on getting mentioned is about genetics. Um, so I'll talk about that in a sec. The other two subcategories of qualitative deficiency is number one, drugs. So acetylcholinesterase inhibitors, um, except for edrophonium. Chemotherapy agents, especially cyclophosphamide, um, and then there's ester, local anesthetics, um, and that's because it um, competes with other drugs for the plasma cholinesterase. There's a few other drugs that are also included, um, such as metoclopramide, uh, the oral contraceptive pill, ketamine, lithium, pancuronium, esmolol. Um, they're the main ones. So the ones that I've chosen to remember are acetylcholinesterase inhibitors, chemotherapy, especially cyclophosphamide, ester local anesthetics, um, and probably ketamine because it's an anesthetic drug. Okay, so that's drugs causing a qualitative deficiency. Um, the next thing is pathological conditions causing qualitative deficiency. So the first is dialysis-dependent end-stage renal failure. Um, the second is burns. There's also um, congestive cardiac failure, cancer, hypothermia, and pregnancy. So in pregnancy um, from the first trimester um, all the way until six weeks postpartum, um, you get impairment of plasma cholinesterase directly by estrogen. Um, and then finally, so that's drugs and pathology causing qualitative deficiency. Then there's also genetic conditions. Um, the genetics is probably where the money is for sucks apnea. Um, so these are due to genetically aberrant atypical plasma cholinesterase um, enzymes. So plasma cholinesterase is encoded by a single gene locus, which is on chromosome 3. Um, there is nucleotide variation. Um, in this chromosomal, uh, like in the genetics of this chromosome, 
which then cause amino acid substitutions, um, which can alter the function of plasma colonesterase. And the exact amino acid substitutions are actually, it's shown in some textbooks, but I haven't included that. Um, it essentially means that there's four alleles. So the alleles are E1 and then subscript. So the subscript is what determines which different allele you have. There's four subscripts, U, A, F, and S. So for example, there's E1A, E1U, E1S, E1F. Um, and then each patient will then have a genotype, which is made up of two alleles. So the usual genotype is EU slash EU, which means that they have two usual alleles. That's got a 96% prevalence. And then with 96% prevalence, you should have a three to five minute block um, at a normal dose of sucks. Then there's the atypical alleles. Um, so that's EA slash EA and EA slash EU, which is where you'd get an atypical and a usual. The um, homozygous atypical, so EA, EA, has a prevalence of one in 3,200. Um, and then that will cause a greater than three hour block. Um, being heterozygous, um, so EA, EU, um, has a prevalence higher, so one in 480 people. Um, and then that will give um, an approximately 30 minute block. Now, the ways to determine whether there's different, um, the different alleles, so currently we do it via PCR. Um, so you can just do PCR testing and then it finds out what the, um, which genetic um, mutations the patient has. Um, but there's also um, a theory of a Dibucane number. So Dibucane is an amide local anesthetic, which is known to reduce plasma colonesterase activity. Um, the way that the Dibucane number is calculated is by placing um, the patient's blood into, um, uh, into a substrate of benzylcholine, um, which should be metabolized by plasma colonesterase the same way that, um, the same way that succinylcholine would be. So the DN or the Dibucane number is the percentage of inhibition of plasma colonesterase activity in the presence of Dibucane. So if there is an 80% inhibition of plasma colonesterase activity by Dibucane, that's normal. So that's a DN or a Dibucane number of 80. If there's a 40 to 60% um, inhibition of plasma colonesterase activity, then that is um, heterozygous for uh, for E1A, so that means that the patient is um, EAEU, meaning that they've got a usual gene and an atypical gene. Um, so that's 40 to 60 DBK number. And then there's a DBK number of 20, which means that the patient is homozygous, so they've got EAEA. Um, so that's a little bit long-winded. So we've talked about the usual allele, the atypical allele. The next allele is the fluoride-resistant allele. So that's, um, if they're homozygous, it'll be EFEF. -E um, that block lasts about two to three hours. And if it's EFEA, um, then it's a slightly prolonged block, um, slightly shorter. I haven't got the exact amount of time here. Um, the fluoride-resistant ones are measured via the fluoride number, which is the exact same process as the Dibucane number, except instead of adding Dibucane um, to a benzylcholine substrate, you add fluoride, um, and then you measure the um, you measure the percentage inhibition of sodium fluoride um, on plasma colonesterase activity. Sixty percent is normal, fifty percent is heterozygous, uh, and thirty-five percent is homozygous. 
And then there's the worst allele, or the you know the most significant one, which is the silent allele. So if you're homozygous for the silent allele, which occurs in one in a hundred thousand patients, then there is a greater than eight hour block from a single dose of sucks, and that's because there is zero enzyme activity, and therefore you have to wait for sucks to be cleared completely via renal clearance. Um, there's also then the heterozygous subgroups of the ES allele. So if you're either ESEA or ESEF, then there's a greatly prolonged block. And then if it's ESEU, then you have a mildly prolonged block. Um, so I think that the important things from this are knowing that the usual um, allele has 96% prevalence, producing a three to five minute block. The atypical homozygous allele produces a greater than three hour block. Um, and then the atypical alleles can be discriminated upon based on dibucane number. Um, and then the fluoride-resistant alleles discriminated based on fluoride number have a block up to three hours. And then the silent allele, so one in 100,000 patients um, who are, uh, will be homozygous, and they have a greater than eight-hour block. Um, and then if they're heterozygous, they can have a, a block that's um, prolonged to differing amounts. So that's all about the different um, causes of sucks apnea. And then I suppose the other part is about the management of sucks apnea. So the first part is supportive. So intubation and ventilation continue until adequate spontaneous ventilation returns. Um, and the, that will either be by slow plasma colonesterase activity, depending on whether they're hetero or homozygous um, for each of the different alleles. There's also definitive management, um, which is by giving fresh frozen plasma which acts as a plasma colonesterase donor, um, but of course that also comes with its own risks of um, transfusion-associated issues, which are both volume um, and immune-related. The next major adverse effect of sucks is anaphylaxis. Um, so there's an incidence of about 1 in 2,000 to 1 in 2,500, um, and that's similar but probably a little bit more than rock uranium. Um, it can either be a, a true IgE-mediated anaphylaxis or um, an anaphylactoid reaction. Um, the way that that happens is that at first exposure, you get activation of specific T cells to a supposed antigen. And in this case, it's usually the quaternary ammonium group, um, which is found on sucks. Um, then as a result of this, the T cells stimulate the B cells to produce IgE. Um, that IgE then gets attached on top of mast cells and basophils such that at the second exposure um, there's IgE-mediated systemic degranulation of mast cells and basophils. So as a result of this degranulation you get multiple features um, and they're particularly due to the effect of mediators such as histamine. Um, there's mucocutaneous issues like vasodilation and capillary leakage from increased vascular permeability. Um, you also get the same in the cardiovascular sense because you get vasodilation, capillary leakage, reduction in your blood volume, therefore reduction in preload and cardiac output. As a result of that, a decrease um, in tissue perfusion and potentially then circulatory arrest. Um, there's also respiratory issues such as bronchoconstriction and then gastrointestinal issues, um, including vomiting and diarrhea and abdominal pain. Anaphylaxis has early and late mediators. The early mediators are particularly histamine, serotonin, and tryptase. Um, and the late mediators are prostaglandins, leukotrienes, bradykinin. Um, and obviously the treatment for anaphylaxis is adrenaline. The next major adverse effect of sucks is malignant hypothermia. 
I'll go over the basics and then I'll also have another episode just on malignant hypothermia. But malignant hypothermia is a hypermetabolic reaction which is caused by volatile anesthesia and depolarizing neuromuscular blocking drugs. So all volatiles can cause malignant hypothermia except for nitrous oxide. Um, then the depolarizing neuromuscular blockers include sucks and also decamethonium, um, and that comes up in a previous MCQ. The cause of malignant hypothermia is a mutation of the RYR1 gene, which encodes the ryanodine receptor on skeletal muscle sarcoplasmic reticulum. The result of um, stimulation of this receptor is continuous pathological release of calcium which then from the sarcoplasmic reticulum which then causes tetany hyperthermia and rhabdomyolysis it's got an 80% mortality rate if untreated um, and then the main treatment you can divide up into supportive and then definitive um, supportive treatment includes stopping the offending agent um, if it is a volatile anesthetic then you would hyperventilate the patient with 100% FiO2 aiming a fresh gas flow of greater than 10 litres per minute in order to clear off the volatile. There's also intervention and intubation and ventilation for the purpose of controlling the airway and um, optimising. Um, you should also remove the vaporizer, um, and then the important thing is to then delegate people um, to start preparing for the definitive management, um, which is preparation of dantrolene um, as the rescue drug in this situation. Um, dantrolene uh, acts as a competitive antagonist at the sarcoplasmic reticulum ryanodine receptors. By doing so, it will reduce calcium release by the sarcoplasmic reticulum and decrease excitation contraction coupling, coupling therefore reducing skeletal muscle metabolism. Um, Dantrolene comes as a orange powder and needs to be reconstituted. You need multiple vials and multiple personnel to make that up. And dantrolene is given at a dose of 2.5 milligrams per kilo as a rapid bolus um, every 10 to 15 minutes. Um, the other uh, adjuvant actions um, include active cooling, particularly if the temperature is greater than 38.5 degrees Celsius, so you, you need to insert a temperature probe. Um, and then the active cooling, um, there's three methods here that I've got. So ice bath, um, so putting an ice on, um, on anything that the, of, on any exposed skin, um, a lavage, and then cold IV saline. Um, there's also treatment of complications, including hyperkalemia, um, and then inserting additional monitoring like art lines and urinary catheters um, in order to titrate urine output. There's also some other triggers for malignant hypothermia, which include caffeine, xanthines, and cocaine, all stimulants. There's also a parasympathomimetic drug used in ocular surgery called carbacol, um, and there's an antipsychotic called phenothiazine. But I'm sure the um, succimethonium and volatile anesthesia are the main two to know about. The abnormality on the ryanodine receptor, i.e. the gene mutation of RYR1, um, is autosomal dominant um, in terms of its inheritance. So there should be testing of family members made for that purpose. Um, and then there should, from a systems point of view, also be a HDU or ICU admission postoperatively, obviously. So that was the major adverse effects of SUCS. So we went over SUCS apnea, anaphylaxis, malignant hypothermia. We'll now go on to the minor adverse effects. So the three that I have here are 
hyperkalemia, arrhythmias, and then muscle-related side effects. So hyperkalemia is the first and most complex. Um, it is a transient, so less than 15 minute long, increase in serum potassium concentration, usually by 0.5 millimoles per litre, which is secondary to potassium efflux from the muscle into the extracellular fluid. That's because as acetylcholine, or in this case sucks, activates the nicotinic acetylcholine receptor, it opens up the central ion channel, which is permeable to cations, but not anions. So you get influx of sodium and calcium and an efflux of potassium. So a normal patient will have a transient increase in serum potassium by 0.3 to 0.5 millimoles per litre um, at a one milligram per kilogram IV dose of sucks. There are, however, some groups that are at an increased risk of severe hyperkalemia, potentially leading to um, cardiac abnormalities and cardiac arrest. These are mainly due to an upregulation of nicotinic acetylcholine receptors. The, when these receptors are upregulated, they particularly upregulate in terms of the immature subtype. So a normal nicotinic acetylcholine receptor is of the subtype. Um, so there's two alpha ones, there's a beta one, and then there's a delta and an epsilon. So alpha, alpha, beta, delta, epsilon. Whereas the um, immature subtype or the fetal subtype is alpha, alpha, beta, gamma, delta. So there's a gamma subunit instead of an epsilon subunit. The reason that that's important um, is that when there's upregulation of these immature fetal nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, these receptors have a prolonged open channel time, which means that there is more time for potassium efflux after they're excited by um, acetylcholine or sucks. There's also a second subtype of nicotinic acetylcholine receptor called the alpha-7 subtype, in which there's five subunits, all of alpha-7 um, subunit type. These are particularly sensitive to sucks as well as to choline, um, and as a result of that, you have an increase in potassium efflux because they actually only need one acetylcholine molecule to bind to any of the alpha-7 subunits in order to excite the, um, the receptor and open the ion channel. So there are particular groups that are at higher risk of hyperkalemia, um, and they all mainly have to do with, uh, with denovation injuries. So the first group is patients who have sustained significant burns, particularly third or more degree burns. Um, they're at risk from one to two days up until one to two years. Um, there's also a risk of patient, uh, for patients who have had denervation injuries. So that includes injuries like spinal cord injuries, that's motor neuron disease, such as muscular dystrophy, Guillain-Barre syndrome, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, and stroke. Um, and then also patients who have been um, severely immobile. So that includes patients who have been catatonic in bed um, for long periods of time, including those ICU patients with critical illness myopathy. There's also a few um, sources which chat about renal patients. So renal patients will not have an increase in the amount of potassium excreted um, as a result of um, as a result of a dose of sucks being given. However, because they usually have a high baseline potassium serum concentration anyways, um, an increase of 0.5 millimoles or more, particularly if they've got the other issues um, associated with upregulation of nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, will increase their risk of very high potassium, um, serum potassium concentrations, particularly um, 
precipitating cardiac issues. The next of the so-called minor side effects um, is arrhythmias. The arrhythmias can either be bradyarrhythmias or tachyarrhythmias. Um, particularly bradyarrhythmias will occur, will occur at normal to low doses. Um, these inc include bradycardia, junctional arrhythmias and sinus arrest. Um, they occur due to sensitization of the sinoatrial node to sucks by the, uh, the first order metabolite succinyl monocholine which acts on the um, muscarinic acetylcholine receptors. Particularly in children, this will occur after a first dose of sucks, and in adults it will occur um, more so after a second dose if given within 10 minutes. You can reduce the response, particularly by pre-treating with atropine. Um, and then there's also uh, tachyarrhythmias that can occur by excit excitation of the, um, of the cardiac conducting system, um, which can produce tachycardia, and that particularly occurs at high doses of sucks. The next of the minor side effects um, is muscle-related issues. So the first I've got here is masseter jaw rigidity. Um, that's where you get a sustained masseter contraction. Um, it can potentially uh, impede bag mass ventilation as well as laryngoscopy. It can also be an early sign of malignant hypothermia. Um, and then some sources actually think that this is an attenuated form of malignant hypothermia due to underdosing um, of sucks. There's also another theory that it could be related to membrane hyperexcitability from abnormal voltage-gated sodium channels. It's um, produced, uh, particularly it's pronounced in children as well as patients with myotonic dystrophy. So that's the first. The next is myalgia. Myalgia is particularly due to fasciculations and is worse in young muscular patients. Um, the third muscle-related side effect is myoglobinuria, and that's secondary to skeletal muscle damage from fasciculations. So that's all the minor side effects. So, so far we've gone over major, sucks apnea, malignant hypothermia, anaphylaxis, and then minor, which is hyperkalemia, arrhythmias, and then muscle-related issues, massive spasm, myoglobinuria, myalgia. And now the final um, group of adverse effects is pressure-related effects. The important thing about pressure-related effects is that all of these can be attenuated or um, potentially abolished by pre-dosing the patient with a non-depolarizing neuromuscular blocking drug at a subtherapeutic um, non-intubating dose. The first pressure to increase is intracranial pressure. Some sources have some um, information written down about increase in cerebral blood flow for several reasons, but in Miller's it's written down as an unknown cause and it's only transient. The next pressure to increase is intraocular pressure. Onset about one minute, peak at two to four minutes, and then offset at six minutes. The mechanism, again, is unknown, but is um, a little bit more robustly suggested to be related to extraocular muscle contraction, um, which causes the extraocular muscles to push the globe against the orbit, hence increasing intraocular pressure. The secondary mechanism potentially is due to a transient dilatation of the choroidal blood vessels, um, which will increase blood flow to the eye and therefore increase ocular pressure. Um, this is why sucks is contraindicated for penetrating eye injuries, i.e. if there's an open anterior chamber. The final pressure-related adverse effect is intragastric pressure. Um, this is due to fasciculations of the abdominal skeletal muscle, as well as potentially due to direct vagal effect of sucks, which acts like acetylcholine to cause gastric contraction. There's a particularly increased risk um, 
of aspiration when there's gastroesophageal um, disease. For example, if there's, a, if there's an altered gastroesophageal angle, which occurs in pregnancy, patients with a hiatus hernia, patients with bowel obstruction, patients with ascites. Um, in these situations, you can get gastroesophageal reflux and potentially aspiration at pressures as low as 15 centimeters of water. And intragastric, intragastric pressure from succinothonium can go uh, can potentially exceed greater than 30 centimeters of water. However, interestingly, um, you also get an increase in lower esophageal sphincter tone, which then acts against um, reflux and aspiration. And there's some sources that state that priming doses with non-depolarizing neuromuscular blocking drugs can increase the aspiration risk by impairing um, the lower esophageal sphincter tone more so than the effect of impairing gastric um, increase intragastric pressure. So that's everything on sucks. So in summary of the entire um, sucks series, succinothonium is also called diacetylcholine. It's two acetylcholine molecules bound together by an acetate methyl group. It is a drug in the depolarizing neuromuscular blocking class. It's got an ED95 of 0.3 to 0.6 milligrams per kilo and is usually given at a dose of one milligram per kilo in order to um, expectedly produce um, complete block and intubating conditions in less than 60 seconds, as well as recovery of twitch height reliably to 90% at 13 minutes. In terms of its onset, once given IV, 80 to 90% is hydrolyzed by plasma cholinesterase, um, which is also called butyral cholinesterase. The remaining 10 to 20% of sucs diffused into the neuromuscular junction, binds to the alpha units of the nicotinic acetylcholine receptor, causes a conformational change in the receptor, influx of sodium and calcium, efflux of potassium, a depolarizing current then opens the voltage-gated sodium channels. However, the issue is that because SUCS maintains depolarization because it doesn't um, unbind from the nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, that means that there is delayed closure of the H-gate due to ongoing depolarization which then results in the voltage-gated sodium channel not being able to return into a resting state. By doing this, SUCS produces an effect called accommodation, whereby in the perijunctional zone, um, there is, where there's a decreased number of nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, high number of voltage-gated sodium channels, um, that means that those cells in the voltage-gated sodium channels in that area um, are fixed in an unexcitable state, and therefore it protects the rest of the muscle membrane um, from being depolarized where the voltage-gated sodium channels are in a resting state in those areas, and that's called accommodation. There's discussion of a phase two block where at higher doses, sucks will produce a effect like a non-depolarizing block. Then we talked about the offset. So the offset is by diffusion out of the NMJ into the plasma, clearance by plasma cholinesterase, and then less than 10% excreted unchanged in the urine. And then we talked about adverse effects. So three major, three minor, three pressures. Three major are sucks apnea, anaphylaxis, malignant hypothermia. Three minor, hyperkalemia, arrhythmias, which are bratty and tacky, and then muscle issues, macetospasm, myoglobinuria, myalgia, and then three pressures, intraocular, intracranial, intragastric. Important things about sucks apnea is that there's four different alleles, usual, atypical, fluoride resistant, and silent. You can go all the way from a usual allele, which is EU, EU, 
which is 96% prevalence, having a three to five minute block, all the way to a homozygous for the silent allele, which is ESES, which occurs in one in 100,000 people having a uh, greater than eight hour block. Um, after sucks apnea, we spoke about malignant hypothermia, which is due to a mutation in the ryanodine receptor, um, treatment for which is dantrolene. Then we spoke about anaphylaxis, um, which occurs in one in 2,000 to 2,500 people, um, particularly due to the quaternary ammonium group found on succinothonium, and um, maybe as a reaction from a previous first uh, from a previous exposure and cross reaction with different soaps and cosmetics, which also hold that quaternary ammonium group. Then onto the minor effects: hyperkalemia, um, so less than 15 minute um, rise in potassium, usually by 0.5 millimoles per liter, um, in response to a normal dose of sucks, caused by opening of the um, nicotinic acetylcholine receptor central ion channel, allowing sucks to um, allowing potassium to escape from the cell into the extracellular fluid. Particularly at risk are people who have high amounts of immature subtype receptors, um, particularly the fetal receptors, um, as well as the alpha-7 subtype. And then there is... Um, Groups include burns patients, denovation patients, and then patients who have um, suffered from immobility, and they're at higher risk of increased potassium efflux. Then there were the muscle-related issues, which we've already spoken about, and the different pressures as well. So that's everything.